Well, hello, and welcome to our next episode of our Words of Life podcast. My name is Sean Walker. I serve as associate pastor with Highlands Baptist Church, and I'm here with... Steve Hafler. I serve as the lead pastor here at Highlands Baptist Church. Today we'd like our discussion to carry on the theme from this Sunday's sermon. We've been doing a sermon series on walking with God and looking at various topics, and the topic from this last Sunday was walking with God through doubt. Maybe to begin our discussion, we could talk about there's two extremes that people might have as Christians. Somebody might be thinking they never doubt. You might have other Christians that feel like they're constantly underneath the burden of doubt. What would be your biblical counsel to both of those extremes? I think Christians who say they never doubt, I experienced that. I was born again when I was 21. Very clear transformation, very clear even subjective sense of the Holy Spirit. And when I worked in the dorm ministry at a Christian university, people would come in with doubts, and I probably lacked empathy and understanding at that point because I didn't understand how somebody could doubt what had been such a clear experience for me. And then on the other side, I think when you finally enter into doubt, because there isn't a safe place to talk through this without sometimes receiving harsh responses or cold responses even, and we need permission to doubt. And I think that permission is found throughout the Old and the New Testaments for those who are plagued by persistent sustained doubt. But you go back and you see Abraham, you see Sarah, you see David, you see Joshua. You get to the New Testament, you've got Peter on several occasions where Jesus is graciously redirecting him. Even as a believer, these these people believe and they're walking with God through their doubts. So I think the Old and the New Testament personalities give us permission to doubt. When I didn't doubt God at all and I lacked that empathy, I was failing to obey Jude 22, where it says, have mercy on those who doubt. And I probably lean towards being critical or interacting with them with a lack of understanding. I really appreciated you bringing our attention to that passage in Jude. It's really overlooked. So often Jude is remembered as the place where it tells us to contend for the truth. And yet in that same place, you have these just really tender, compassionate words of, mm-hmm. of instruction. Mm-hmm. In the sermon, you mentioned that you experienced a doubt eventually. How has that shaped your walk with God? A lot of the doubt I find others ask, and that I eventually started to ask, isn't really a doubt between truth claims. Truly born-again people aren't questioning whether Buddhism or Islam or Jainism holds truth that we fail to have. It's not even in the area of intellectual truth claims, what it is, is all of a sudden there's a harsh, fierce experience that is causing us to question the character of God. Is God who he said he is? And a lot of times that comes around not just our personal suffering, like Job, who had his own questions, but when we see that evil affect the innocent, when we see abuse against children, when we see justice never going forward, you know, and that was part of what caused Habakkuk to cry out and ask the difficult questions. For me, it was when one of my children was sexually abused. I struggled. I I even remember sitting at the Denver International Airport. I don't even remember who we were picking up that weekend and sitting there arguing with God saying, how can I preach on your good character this Sunday when you have allowed this? That really launched me into a long season of doubting, is God both 
completely good is he omnibenevolent? And is he completely sovereign? Is he omnipotent? That kind of a struggle is deep. And what I found out through this journey is God is more than I ever expected him to be, not less. You know, doubt moves. It's like the wind in a sail. And doubt is simply like a wind that catches the sail. But you can steer that ship no matter what direction that wind is coming from. You can still point the ship in a certain direction. And doubt can help us sail towards God or away from God. So in that sense, doubt is directional. And there were times I could sense in my soul the ship was sailing away, and that's that's the danger of doubt. But for the most part, that ship has been able through sometimes stormy weather. When doubt fills that sail, it can actually direct us towards God. We can learn more about him, even learn more about him sending his own son to be crushed uh, so that we don't have to be. Were there any fresh views of God and his character that you came across through your study for this sermon on walking with God through doubt? Uh, Through this sermon and through my daughter's disclosure, yes. Let me go back a few years to my daughter's disclosure. I had never taken a clear, in-depth look at the small, minor prophet book, Habakkuk. I had felt guilty at first for arguing with God, felt guilty at first for being angry, Habakkuk basically gave me permission. He was asking some of the very questions I'd already been asking, and all of a sudden that book, in God's goodness, just opened up, and you have this godly prophet not only doubting but accusing God for being indifferent towards evil. And all of a sudden that truth, and it's it's always a beautiful time when God allows a portion of Scripture or an entire book to bring forth life where there's where there's such hurt and darkness— that still to this day is one of my favorite Old Testament books because he's he's questioning, and that's where God says, the righteous shall live by his faith. Well, what does that look like? And I'm so thankful that in these three cycles in Habakkuk, Habakkuk doesn't just bend and kind of blindly follow. He, he argues again, and there's this incredible wrestling uh, with God. And then finally, in the end chapter, he says, I'm going to wait, but he's going to trust in the Lord. And he talks about, if you look at the end of chapter 3, he says, even... There's no fig on the tree and, you know, there's no cattle in the stall. He's going to trust in the Lord. He's looking forward to a future hope in God's character and promises. Uh, As far as working through this sermon, I came across John the Baptist, and he's, he's not one that we expected to doubt. But here he is languishing in Herod's prison. What happened before that? He had been the forerunner. He's the one that said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the one who baptizes the Son of God. Uh, He's the one who sees the Spirit descending like a dove, hears the audible voice of God saying, This is my Son. And then here he is in prison. He's isolated. And he asks the question, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? He has to send that through the word of his own disciples, because Jesus never came and visited him in prison. All Jesus does is tell John's disciples, tell them what you hear, and tell them what you see. And I'm sure John was thinking, is this the Messiah, rescuer, deliverer? And if so, why is he letting me, the forerunner, languish away here in in a cell? Of course, John prayed that Jesus must increase and John must decrease. And now John's being decreased, and that, that decreasing will end up in having his head severed from his shoulders. 
I believe John truly meant that when he prayed it, but as it was unfolding in reality, it was very difficult for him. So from that narrative, uh, I found great hope both that John doubted and in Jesus' tender response to him. As you led us through some of those Old Testament characters and even into the New Testament characters, it made me just pause and think of how doubt is just it's a constant theme. I mean, you think of even like a mighty prophet like an Elijah, you know, calling fire down, mm-hmm. and yet the same guy is uh, racked with doubts, thinking he really is the only one alive that is still worshiping God and following God. And yet God doesn't berate him. He just reminds and, and assures Elijah that, you know, you're not the only one. It was very helpful just to be reminded of the theme of doubt, really through the entire scriptures and how kind God is to us as doubters. Yeah, and after Elijah runs, he's in the wilderness, extremely discouraged. You have another, I mean, John the Baptist is called the second Elijah. So you have this, you know, you have the first Elijah now in a similar situation. And this is what I've learned through this study is how God responds. Basically, he supernaturally provides him food and he gives him rest. Sometimes that's all we need to see a little more clearly. I think also we need to be very careful that religion's response to suffering and doubt is a lot different than God's response. And God's responses are not all the same. You know, for Job, it was a 70-question test. For other, for other men and women, it was, it was a different response. So I think we need to be careful as Christians that we don't just give trite, canned answers to people that are suffering through doubt. Again, bring back in Jude 22. What does it look like to give mercy to those who are doubting? And we need to be very careful with our words and sometimes just let that suffering have its work in that individual's heart. Well, then turning the conversation to kind of nitty-gritty practical, in our circumstances with the pandemic and all the social distancing and everything shut down, there's a lot of people that have lost jobs or being furloughed or they're under the threat of that, and they are likely worried or anxious in prayer about whether or not they will have enough to provide for their families, you know, make rent and so forth. How would we respond to those that are doubting if God is able to provide? I think some of the doubts that we have are connected to God's sovereignty. Is he really in control? And the answer is yes. And if he's in control, does he care for us? Uh, you have others who, without even without the pandemic, uh, it says to delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart, and their heart, their heart desires a relationship, a spouse, and that's just not happening for them. And this is where the doubt starts to come in. Is God really who he says he is, and can he do what he says he will do. And I think just turning them back towards finding ultimate delight in Jesus Christ and walking with him through that time, trusting he knows what's best. You've got moms that are homeschooling that have have never even considered homeschooling. And they may be wondering, why am I in this position? And starting to doubt God's goodness, God's care for them. But remember, God is always doing so much more, and he does what is good all the time, and he's teaching us, and he's leading us, and he's growing us in the grace and knowledge of who he is. That's what you will see with any character that you study in the Bible with their doubts, that what they're doing is they are growing through that experience. What about those that may be doubting? You know, the scriptures promise that God will never leave us or forsake us. We're in a time where people are isolated, they can't be together. Uh, maybe some singles or some shut-ins that feel isolated, and they are doubting that God is really with them still. Yeah, and I would, I would, I would add to that question: What is the experience that we're expecting out of that 
So we're not talking about a, th- a theoretical God or that we have a lot of knowledge about God. What God is drawing us into often and inviting us into is a an experiential relationship with him. Habakkuk, through that doubt, he thought God was far off. Don't you know, don't you hear? Are you indifferent? I cry to you and you don't answer. The same with Job, yep. wondering has God abandoned me? And yep. certainly he hadn't. He why has he yeah, Job asks, Why has he made me a target? At the end of Habakkuk, I love the word he uses, I will delight in the Lord, not just submit, but I'm going to delight in him. So that doubt brought forth this experiential relationship. That's why we call this series Walking with God. We're not just learning about God through doubt. We're walking with him through this. Job, at the end, is rejoicing. He says, I'm going to put my hand over my mouth. He's learning about God. That's that's what's happening. And so what we're being invited into, and, and I think American Christians need to hear this, we don't just need to, to download a lot more information about God. We actually need to practice in relationship what we already know. That reminds me of what I think it was Peter wrote on the, the tested genuineness of your faith is more precious than gold. Yep. It seems as if unless our faith is tested, where we are at least tempted to doubt, our faith is not proven. It The, the, mm-hmm. the genuineness, the value of our faith is undiscovered until we go through those times. Painful, yes, but boy, the results that God produces in his people is, yeah. is tremendous. Yeah, you'll feel the heat of the furnace through that affliction. Jesus was in the boat with his own disciples, and they questioned his care. So even proximity did not remove them from doubt. As a matter of fact, they assumed, don't you care for us that we're perishing? And of course, Jesus stood up, silenced the storm, and he said, oh, you of little faith. And faith is the response to our doubt. But it's not just empty faith or blind faith. It is resting on the, the promises of God because of his character. And a matter of fact, that's why John will go on to say, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Well, we're glad you've been able to join us for this conversation. It's our prayer that we as a church family would continue to trust God as we walk with him through this time.